You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 212, covering Favor the Bold and Sacrifice of Angels. Hi friends, we're back. It feels like we took a break, but that's just because behind the scenes we took a break, but yeah. to you it's been one continuous It thing. was all perfectly in sync. Yes, or in uh, apostrophe. No, not apostrophe, asterisk yeah. sync, right? Uh, I think so. That's a thing your wife knows about. It's a thing my wife knows a lot about, and so in the past couple of years I've worked very hard to know nothing about it anymore. Ah, good man. <laughs> I w- I've forgotten anything I used to know. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. I could totally see that. So, would you say mm. that this this run of episodes, now we can reveal this is the end of the arc. Yep. This is the six-episode arc that opens season six. Would you say that this is, as a whole, the best story Star Trek has ever told? Like one single story. Mo- yeah. One movie, one multi-part episode, whatever. Yeah, it's pretty much perfect. Just in terms of all the moving parts, yep. all the different characters that get stuff, all the action, all just everything. Now, I'd go back to the end of Season 5 and include the uh, the loss of Deep Space Nine. Yes. But, uh, yeah, that whole... The, this so you'd whole... call this a seven-episode arc, then, including yeah. the season finale. Okay, fair enough. But, yeah, the, uh, the recapturing of uh, DS9 and losing it again, fucking fantastic. Yes. Probably just... the best Star Trek ever. Like I say, just not just in terms of this is a really cool story because we're doing a war, but because there's so many characters going through things, there's so much like, yep. character development, different arcs going on. Just the, the thirty characters who make up Deep, Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. all of who, all with their own arcs, all with yeah. their own crap going on, all intersecting perfectly. And at the end of this six or seven episode run. Everyone is in a different place than mm. when they started. I yep. don't mean physically, also physically, but, you know, mm-hmm. like m- mentally, character development wise, they're all somewhere else now. Yeah. It's just unreal. So good. Oh. Yeah. So let's get into it. Yeah. Why My don't episode... you uh, Why don't you tell us about uh... <laughs> some I can never fucking remember what this one is called. Favors the Bold. It's it's something about uh, barbecue sauce, I think. Mm. New York City. <laughs> Favor the bold. We join the Defiant in mid-battle. They can't cloak, their shields are down to almost nothing, and their weapons are offline. But just, but then, just as the Jemadar swoop in for the kill, a Klingon ship decloaks. The Defiant, which was actually fine, powers up, and the Jemadar are wasted. Next time, says Dax to Worf, maybe we can trade places. Uh, which I am positive is a reference to their sex life, but no time for that! Back on Terok Nor, Kira and her BFF Zial are trying to get Rom released from jail. What's that you say? Kira said she was never going to speak to Zial again. Yeah, she gets a lot of that. I think she's just learned to shrug it off. Anyway, the Cardassian Dominion Alliance have no intention of releasing Rom, whom they now realize built the minefield that's preventing them from swarming into the Alpha Quadrant. Surprising, again, no one, they're going to execute him. That's what I'd do. And even, I kind of even like Rom now. Back with the Starfleet dudes, Sisko has decided that enough is enough. This show is called Deep Space Nine, for Christ's sakes, and it's time they made an effort to take the thing back. So the entire fleet heads up to do just that, and what do you mean that's where the episode ends? Are you kidding me? Oh, also, Nog is an ensign now, Kira's still mad at Odo, Lita makes an adorable little noise when she's sad, and it's Morn's mom's birthday. Which is actually more relevant to the plot than you might think. So this one goes out to Morn's mom, happy 75th birthday, Mrs. Morn. <laughs> 
or if you have the kerning, like if, if the kerning of your text is a little off, it looks like I wrote mom's mom. <laughs> because the R in the end. Yes, it does, actually. <laughs> but yes, that is a that is a plot point. Mm-hmm. It's not just a, oh, Morn, oh, he loves his mom. Like, no, it, he's Some... going, he's not part of any of this. He's going somewhere and we can use him to deliver messages. Yep. Messages hidden in ticker tape. <laughs> it looked like a, it looked like a, a a tape measure, like a cloth tape measure yes. that Taylor would use. Yep. Here, we want to deliver this to Garrick to measure somebody's inseam. Yep. Oh, you have a very low crotch, Major. I don't think he's talking to the Major like that. I'm sorry, that was my uh, <laughs> that, that was the wrong Cardassian impression. Uh, hang on, you have a very low crotch, Doctor. Oh, that's better. They're they're very different voices, is the thing. They're they are. Neither of us is an accomplished mimic, so it's difficult to capture that with us. But... I disagree completely. Have you heard my Cisco? Well, we know who Cisco. Like, there's no mistaking your Cisco for anybody else. I'm Worf. <laughs> I am not a merry man. I'm super into honor and hating my kid. <laughs> yeah, see, that's exactly. Well, I mean, he's kind of into honor, but not not into hating. His not kid not into capital H honor. No, not at all. Um, so yeah, lots going on. This originally was supposed to be the the last episode, and they realized they just had too much. Yeah, there's gonna so, be a uh, four episode arc, and then they're like, oh shit. Yeah, maybe it should be five. Um, wait, maybe this last part needs to be two more parts. We met eight million moving pieces. Yeah. And as much as they keep talking on and on about how hard it was to put all this together, it sure comes together pretty great. Oh my god, it comes together perfectly. I mean, that last episode that will, you know, yours, the next one, just uh-huh. feels like the perfect, like, third. Actually, these two together yeah. feel like the perfect third it's a act. really great two-parter. Like, all the, all the you know, the climax. Yeah. Everything comes to a head. Everybody's arc kind of gets to where it's going. Yep. And it's really good. So let's let's start with your good thing. All right. Well, as much as I'm tempted to say uh, ship porn over and over again while I aggressively masturbate, no. Uh, there's a scene where Rom is in prison, uh, talking to Quark and Lita, and, uh, Rom is, and here's a weird sentence, a total badass in this scene. Yeah. He does this great little speech, convinces Quark to save millions of lives, and doesn't sound like a cartoon character at all. Lita kind of does, but, you know, I'm into that, so whatever. Yeah, I mentioned that in my summary. She's got this little, and I, my voice doesn't go there. She this cute a- little whimper. <laughs> yeah. Which is just adorable. Um, but yeah, Rom's totally ready to sack. Like, yes, I created this minefield because I think the Alpha Quadrant like needs to keep these guys out, and I yeah. am ready to die for that. Yep. And Quark, so should you be, because this is a horrible, horrible thing for all of us. Yeah, I love it. Then we'll stand back to back like yep. brothers, heads, with our heads, heads held, held high. high. And he doesn't even really sound like that anymore. No, like, he sounds like a person. That's the established Rom impression. I understand you doing that. Yes. But- don't want to confuse the listeners but he doesn't sound like that anymore he's just they realized oh wait nobody wants to nobody likes that guy yeah no we were talking about this at some point like what is it max grodenchek i don't know how to say it that's that's probably right but uh he's just like look i didn't really expect to have to use this voice for seven years i thought it was just a one-off like because i don't even think he was established as as quark's brother at first i think he was just a ferengi working with quark yeah and they, they kind of locked him into it. But uh, can we maybe uh, not do this anymore? How about I start evolving a little? Eh, we'll get to you after we get to the 17 other guys. Yeah, there's a lot going on. We got this all this crap with Garrick. Yeah. Who? 
It's me. He's, Doctor. He's not in the main credits. <laughs> so let's talk about your ship porn thing. Oh. Because I mentioned it briefly in my summary, but seriously, we have never seen this many Starfleet ships on screen. And I said this at the finale, but we're, we're at that point again where we've bested it again. Yep. Where we have, like, I didn't count, but probably 30 to 50. Yep. At any one time on screen at the on same time. On screen, flying around, doing shit. Yeah, and they do some tricks to make it look like there's more, but all at once on at the same time, you mm. see, you know, I would say up to 50 of sh uh, ships. Uh, some familiar, like Galaxy Class, or yep. like uh, whatever the Reliant was in Star Trek Two. Yep. Some we haven't seen before, but just, wow. And I, I, I was fighters. fascinated by the little fighter jets, yeah. It makes the, sense the that idea they have that, that Starfleet has fighter jets. Well, it's never really come up because we've never had a war. No. I think, are these the same types of ships that the cadets were flying in uh, the first duty? That wouldn't surprise me. I remember those being more triangular, but that might have just been like a computer simulation. I yeah. don't know if we ever actually saw the ships. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think we ever actually see those ships. But yeah. that's probably what they're... They're basically like the X-Wing fighters for Starfleet. Yeah, they don't look anything like that, but yes. No, they are, but they, like, they you know what I, when I say that, you know what I mean. You yeah, know? they're the dog fighting like, yeah. planes. And that's the point. You need something tiny and maneuverable. And, yeah. and the Defiant is good for that as being a warp-capable ship. But for something small that needs to get up close and fight you, you yeah. need, you know, a fighter. So and it's I'm, good that they have uh, I'm not going to lie. Fucking watching a couple of those fly across the uh, fucking Cardassian Stingray ship is good. just... <sighs> yep. Well, that's the thing. We get those. And then we get shots. And again, we're going to have this problem of being able to determine what was in which episode. Yep. This may have been in the second one. But we see the opposing fleet, and it's just as big. It's bigger, actually. They say yep. they outnumber us two to one. Yep. And we get all those Jem'Hadar ships, and we get the, the Cardassian ships, and it's just... So fucking cool. Yeah. Uh. And th but the thing is, they leave us with the fleet approaching, and it stops. Yep. And it's like, what? What? No! <laughs> I remember watching this in, I think it would have been 96 or 97 at this point, and I was just, come on! Oh, poor Al. Like what is what? And is your star the... and your Star Trek blue balls. Yes, that is exactly what it was. Yes, damn it! I was so ready, and then uh, you know you can damage a guy when you when you lead him into thinking that there's going to be a big fight, and then there isn't one, right? <laughs> this fight's going home now. Oh yeah. Well, then I'm going to go home and play with my own ships for a while. <laughs> or my micro machines. Yep. Oh, well, I had. Them. I didn't have this many. But I <laughs> Yeah, it was. It is just unbelievable. Uh, what about your bad thing? Um. So, and I think <laughs> as I we think, struggle, yeah, I, I, and I think you'll probably get where I'm coming from here. Um, this was kind of a stretch. So, there's a Vulcan admiral at the beginning of the episode who. Uh, let's see. When I was a boy, there was a show on TGIF for about a minute called "Hi, Honey, I'm Home." Uh, and it featured a Leave it to Beaver-style family who moved into the suburbs. Um, it was terrible and canceled, rightly so. Uh, but it features a lot of scenes where people from the 1950s uh, TV interacted with mid-90s people. Uh, and this Vulcan woman put me in mind of that almost immediately. I don't know if it's makeup or the actor's really pale or whatever, but she looks completely drained of color. Yes, it was definitely the worst thing about this episode. I watched it. I don't have any idea what you mean. That's fine. Okay. It's just this weird sh she's just sitting there and like she literally looks like a black and white TV show wearing a color uniform. Okay, but you like goth girls. 
Yes, but this, that's not what this was. If this was a goth girl, that would have been my good thing. Fair enough. All right. Well, you're you're kind of on your own on this one, but uh, that's fine. Again, again, bit of a struggle, mm-hmm. especially in the last few episodes with you using your bad thing to say I don't agree with a choice a character made, even though it's actually really good writing. Yeah, you'll notice it's a legit bad thing. Yeah, I I appreciate you trying to you know. And again, it's our show. You can do what you want. I can't. If do you want to keep doing that, that's that's fine. But it does it does mean we're not exactly sticking to what the premise was. It does mean you're a bad person, Matt. <laughs> Well, no, we agreed. With the you're premise. a bad person with a bad thing. No, you're just a bad host. Well, that's you're a def- fine person. Well, that's definitely true. <laughs> no, we agreed that the good thing, bad thing was to force us to to find bad things in good episodes and vice versa. Yes, and there have been none for the last six episodes. <laughs> it's really hard. In fact, my bad thing here is yeah, uh, hmm, um, well, the thing is, and so on. Yes, I just I couldn't. Uh, yeah, no, honestly. I guess if I had to find something, uh, Nog's promotion did come a little quickly. Like, he's already an ensign. It didn't bother me. I'm fine with it. I'm glad we're telling stories where people are moving forward. And in wartime, things happen a little more quickly. But it yep. did seem quick. I'm going to buy it just because, like, my working theory is he missed graduation because he's been in the middle of a war. That's true. And this has been going on for months now. Yeah. And, like again, it, in war, a lot of people die and people get promoted quicker. Yeah, like, he was supposed, he was probably supposed, his, um, what is it, his internship or whatever the fuck it was supposed to be. Um, I think they call work, it a field posting. Yeah, his field like posting, that. whatever. Probably should have ended months ago. Yeah. And he should have gone back to finish up, uh, up school well, and I think it's graduate. like a four-year thing. Like, I don't think he's done yet. See, I thought, I assumed it was like when I was doing my practicum in library school, where you go and work with them for, like, a couple of months. See, I I saw this as sort of like junior year abroad kind of thing, mm. where you it's in the middle of your studies, you go off and do a thing, yeah, and then you come back and continue your studies. Yeah, but I think he like I think he was at the end of his like this was like one of the last things he has to do before he graduates. Fair enough. Well, again, this is the tiniest of nits. Yeah, I got nothing. I'm just trying to no prize it. Yeah, no, that works. And again, if nothing else, we know a lot of guys have been lost. Mm-hmm. People get promoted when. You know, when a lot of soldiers start dying, you need to move people up the ranks a bit. Well, Nog, Ensign Jimmy died, so uh, I guess you're an Ensign now. Wait, didn't we establish Ensign Jimmy as being on the uh, original Enterprise in, like, season one of the original series? Oh, no, this is Ensign Jimmy the Fourth. Oh, I was going to say, like, if he's if he's still alive and he's still an Ensign. <laughs> yep, him and Ensign Sadsack. <laughs> B- bumping around uh, bumping around the, uh, the universe. Uh-huh. Failing up. No, Ensign Jimmy... It's Jimmy the Fourth just raises even more questions. <laughs> is it an inherited title? Is it his son? He's... Are takes they after... clones like Wayun? Takes after his great grandpa. Okay. <laughs> ensign Jimmy the Second wasn't even an ensign; he was a chef. His parents named him Ensign. Yep. In hopes that he would live up to it, and he did not. <laughs> You're gonna end your Starfleet just like your old man did. Fuck you, Dad. I'm gonna be a painter. I thought you just said a chef. I could be two things. All right. He paints chefs. Oh. Well, that that's a third different thing <laughs> entirely. So he's the tattoo artist next to Cisco's restaurant. That's right. I'm going to paint chefs. Man, uh, Cisco's dad's looking a little peeled. Come here for a second. There we go. Ah, that's better. You need another coat. Just a little touch-up. Yeah. Now you look like that painting of Jesus. Oh, God. <laughs> With Am eyes I... in his nostrils. What's that? With eyes in its nostrils. Oh, God. Boy, this show takes us to some weird places. Yes, it does. Uh, So my good thing. Yes. 
the stakes on Star Trek, this is why I think this is maybe the best story Star Trek has ever told. Mm. The stakes have never been this high. Like, they mention Earth may be in danger, but it's really the entire quadrant. It's everyone we've ever met in Star Trek is in trouble. Like, this is this is going to threaten Vulcan. It's going to threaten uh, uh, Bajor. Yep. And, uh, uh, God, Beta Zed. Uh, Ryza. Yeah. I was trying to think of Counselor Troy's planet, and I was just drawing a blank. But, yes, Beta Zed. Like, all the major places that all the familiar characters have come from are in danger. It's not just, like, the movies always want to put Earth in danger. And I understand that because they want something people can relate to. Mm. But it's, like, this is so much bigger than that. Yeah. It's everything. It's the entire known galaxy is going to be swarmed by these guys if we let them get through the wormhole. Yep. It is, we've never had that. Like, I can't think of any time. Like, the Borg, yeah, but they still just told the story of them going to Earth. Mm. Like, it was never... Like, the implication was eventually they would take the Alpha Quadrant. But they're going to fuck Earth up first, because right. that's where we live. Because the audience apparently doesn't understand when you threaten anything but Earth, I guess. Earth? But that's where I live! Right. But... Because the show's done such a good job for so long of establishing how important everything is, mm-hmm. we get it. And on a personal level, Cisco, okay, he wants his son back, obviously, but he also wants to go back to his home, yep. which he has this amazing speech, is oh, now Bajor. This, says, this whole thing would have been my quote if, it, if this were my episode and it weren't 20 minutes long. Yeah, it's a really, it's a great speech. Yeah. It's he's going to settle down. Like when the war's over, when everything's settled again and everything's secure, he's going to go build a house on Bajor. And Admiral Ross says, well, that's pretty cool. But, uh, we, what if you're not stationed on Bajor anymore? He's like, Oh, I'll, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the military, man. I'll go yeah. where you send me. But when I go home, that's where I'm going. Yeah. And it's like, okay, good. He's not throwing away his career for this, mm-hmm. but it is still super important to him. That's so great. Yeah. And, this is the thing they've tried in so many movies and all the big stories of Star Trek. They usually don't succeed. It's creating a big threat that endangers everyone, but also telling a personal story at the same time. Like, it's about what's going on in the captain's head, but it's also about this giant thing. Mm. Like, they balance it so well. And it's not just him. Like, all the characters we follow have a stake in this. It's just, that's the main thing that I think so many of the Trek movies have failed at, is... The stakes is why do I care what's happening? Yeah. And like like the the better Trek movies have either just said, screw it, we'll worry about the characters and who cares. Mm-hmm. Like like uh, Star Trek Four was like, yeah, okay, the whale throw was whatever, blah, blah, blah. But we care about these guys. Yeah. Or they just, they make it something specific, like the, the piece with the Klingons. But for the most part, it's just like, wh- why? This doesn't matter. It, it just doesn't, who cares? And here it's so big and so obvious to see how it affects everyone. It's just we're so well. Yeah, it's that it's that walking that perfect line between huge stakes and personal stakes. Right. You you don't lose the character driven show telling a giant action filled story. Yeah. It's a hard line to walk, but I think they did it beautifully. Yeah. And I love how perfectly they executed it. And then you go and read on Memory Alpha. It's like this was the hardest thing we've ever had to do. Well, you did it well. So yeah, that's you okay. uh, good good job, guys. Thumbs up. Yeah. Here's your best um, cup. <laughs> um, some great stuff from Wayun here. In fact, I'm just gonna go ahead and. Uh... Well, actually, there there my original quote was gonna be: "There's a scene where he's talking to Kira about art mm. and how they have no sense of aesthetic, the the Vorta, and that's pretty great." Yeah. 
But then he's he's got this great bit where Cisco's on his way and they say this. The second fleet has fallen back past the Kataka system while the fifth fleet is pulled out of the fighting along the Vulcan border. Both fleets have converged here. Starbase 375. Isn't that where Captain Cisco is stationed? He's been made an adjutant to Admiral Ross. Good for him. Which is just great. Wayun's well, basically the, uh, the, the comic relief in this. Yeah, and he's... Like we we learn a ton about Wayun and Vorda in the in these two episodes. Yep. And that race just fascinates me as this sort of weird couple, like, the the race built by people who have no interest in what non shapeshifters do. Yep. And just like they're literally custom built for one thing, and that is to be uh like. The administrators. Yeah, the administrators. That's it. So Wayun talks about how they can't, like, they have no, they have no imagination. They can't appreciate art. They can't appreciate music. They yep. can't make art or music. Yep. Like they're just because the the founders didn't give them anything they didn't need. Yeah. And I think anything that would have made them aspire to more would have been a bad thing. Yeah. They just gave them exactly like, no, you don't want to do anything, but what were what your purpose is? That's it. Mm. The uh, like the uh, there's a point where uh, uh, he mentions that uh, they have very poor eyesight, mm-hmm. but they have very good ears. Why? Because seeing stuff not as important as being able to take orders. Right. It's just it really fascinates me how bizarre this culture is because it all makes sense because it's barely a culture. Yeah. No, they're they're a race, but I don't think they're really a culture yeah. exactly because they may- don't have a tradition of you know, like there there's no. There's no ancient Vorta no. songs or whatever. Because why would there be? Like, right. Like all they do is all they do in their personal time is worship the founders, and I imagine worshiping the founders mostly consists of doing that little bow thing. Yep. Like that's it. Okay, you've worshipped the founders for the day. Now you can do whatever else. Yep. And whatever else doesn't matter. Like whatever else better just be administrative crap. They're they're built. It's they're a tool. Yeah, that's it. It's like you're. Your vacuum cleaner doesn't have any hobbies. It's a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. It's made to suck up dirt. That's all. And that's the, they're just that. But they decided to give it sentience, which yeah. is horrible. Well, because you can't, like, they have to. You can't negotiate with a robot. Yeah. Like, I mean, Kirk could, but they would just explode. <laughs> most people can't negotiate with a robot. Uh. Yep. And also, while we're on the topic, uh, I'm starting to think that the reason uh, they have such poofy hair is so that they can be patted on the head. <laughs> There is a fantastic scene, and again, I don't know if it's this one or the other one, but we're gonna since we're discussing them both. It yeah, doesn't screw really it. Matter. Yeah, um, where he's like uh, uh, Odo and female changeling are talking. Odo walks away, and Wayun says, "You've done such a good job with him." And she's like, "What? Uh, you know, turning him back to our side. You've done such a great job. Why are you talking to me? Yeah. Get out of here." <laughs> no, but it's not even that because he. He, I, like I also really like the scene where he's the scene that follows that where he's like I meant no disrespect founder and she goes oh, of course you didn't you can't yeah no that that ties into what we're saying yeah it's you're, like you're oh. a tool of course you didn't try to disrespect we programmed you to be nothing but respectful yeah it's like I can't be offended by you because you're not real yeah well I mean to 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 the changelings nothing is real but no. them so you know <laughs> it's them against the salads. <laughs> Our friend Tidro pointed this out, and you also pointed it out this time, that yes, the way the way female changeling says salads does sound a lot like salads. Uh, oh, poor Odo. So obsessed with what the salads think of you. 
Now listen but... to me, Odo. You don't win friends with salads. <laughs> <laughs> I love, there's a bit also uh, where uh, Zial is, like, is trying to get uh, Dukat to free Rom because that's what Kira wants. Mm-hmm. And wow, I've never said so many character names in a single sentence before. <laughs> This guy wants what this guy, this guy, this guy. Well, it's all connected. It's yeah. Just it's all... you better keep up or you're not going to know what's going on. Well. Yeah. Um, and and Ducat's like, no, I'm not going to do that. He's a criminal. Are you a collaborator? And yeah. so she gets mad and she leaves. And he's like, oh, God, we got to fix this. This is a delicate situation. Who shall I get to handle this delicate situation? Damar. Damar, come here for a second. Stop, stop mindlessly stumbling around that china shop and get over here. <laughs> I need the most precision tool in my toolbox, so uh, why don't you, my wooden club, come over here? <laughs> doesn't even have the it doesn't even have the rubber mallet part. It's just a big stick. Yeah, and he needs to unscrew those tiny screws for like when you're changing a hard drive. Why isn't this working? <laughs> so naturally, Kira just hauls off and decks him. Oh, God, such a satisfying scene because you know she's been waiting months to finally lay out uh, Damar. I've been saying this from the first episode of this run, that this, like, everyone's got an arc, everything's great, but really, Kira, more than anybody. Yep. And Nana Visitor, more than anybody, just acts her ass off, and and this is the culmination of all that. Yep. She is just, she has had enough of you! (laughs) Like, like, typically the move is, uh, I've had enough, I'm gonna punch you a couple of times and you're gonna fall. She does not stop hitting No, she beats the shit out of him! Forcing Zial to very reasonably say, did you just kill him? <laughs> did you punch him to death? Can, can you do that? Oh my god! Because, I mean, and and the we, the audience, are wondering the same thing. It's not like Zial's, you know, innocent and naive. No, she hit him probably ten times. Yep. Hard. Very hard. Like, yeah, is he dead? That, that seems like a possibility. He kind of stumbles into uh, Ducat's office and just, it didn't go well. He's got a, the Cardassian version of a black eye. Yep. And just, yeah. Uh, I told you this wasn't the best idea. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to go he's get so great some that He seems teeth. like a one-note character, but he's really not. No. Damar. He's, like, he is very, like, he is a dick. Oh, yeah. But there's a lot going on there, and no specific spoilers, but there's it's going to pay off more. Like, we have not seen The Last of Damar, and a lot of this is going to, like, yeah. keep coming up. Let's just say he, he and his canar will not be uh, <laughs> will not be separated. That rhymes. <laughs> uh, what else? What else? Uh, um, that may be it for this episode. That's all I got. Yeah, I mean, we can always come back to like yeah, yeah. These Again, these are all meant so as well. one big thing. Yeah. So why don't you just go forward with sacrifice of angels? Oh God. Okay. So. The Defiant and the Federation fleet crash headlong into, into the combined forces of the Cardassian and the, and the Dominion, while Dukat and the Legion of Doom watch from the sidelines. Dukat's riding high on the sweet fumes of victory. The minefield outside the wormhole is hours away from going down. Starfleet, star... ship fleet... <laughs> is, is on the losing end of the war. And Zial is finally going to realize how great a man he is. It's all coming together! As everything, as everything comes together like an A-team plan, Dumar recommends that any remaining DS9 cast members be round up and imprisoned until the fight's over. You know, for the good of the Bajoran people. <laughs> well, sure, replies Dukat. The sight of Major Kira in handcuffs can only improve my day. <laughs> uh, he's less thrilled about the idea of imprisoning Zial. 
You stay away from my daughter, Damar. She's my daughter. Turns away before he can see Damar hold out a pleading hand and whisper, Why can't I be your daughter? <laughs> Back at Odo's sex pad, the, hum the female changeling acts smug and condescending, whilst Odo dithers. So, no change from the last episode there. Quark and Thiel break the rest of the supporting cast out of jail using poisoned briny tacos and bamboozlement. Meanwhile, for like the 18th time, the Klingon cavalry arrives at the battle, allowing the Defiant to break off from the fight and head for Deep Space Nine, where Rom and Kira get some extremely last-minute help from Odo to disarm DS9's weapons, hoping to prevent the minefield from being destroyed. Rom puts all of his effort into the task, and by the skin of his stupid tooth, fails, shutting the weapons down seconds after the field actually explodes. Uh, the Defiant arrives, ignoring DS9 and heading straight into the wormhole, where the massed army of Jem'Hadar await. Sisko prepares to butch and Sundance his way out of the series when the prophets descend from the ceiling on a chair and wish the Jem'Hadar away to the cornfield. Reinforcements now gone, the Legion of Doom evacuates the station, except for Dukat, who goes looking for his daughter. Their touching reunion, reunion is cut short by Damar in a desperate cry for attention, shooting Zial in the chest. As the only innocent person he knows dies, Dukat slowly reaches into his jacket, withdraws a Napoleon hat, and, as he places it on his head, begins to mechanically strum his fingers up and down over his lips. Yup. Make the noise, just so people know. <laughs> Thank you. Two things. We both made the note that Damar clearly wants to be Dukat's daughter. They set it up so perfectly. He says, she doesn't appreciate what it means to be your daughter. Which, the, the next line should obviously be, but I do. Why can't I be your daughter? Yeah. I love you. I want to go to the amusement center. It's not my birthday, but I don't even care. Damar, are those pretty pink ribbons in your hair? No. No? no. <laughs> shut up. Don't shut up. Tell me I'm good. I'm, I'm sorry, Dad. Should I, should I call you Dad yet? Or do we want, do we want to wait on that? Or do we just I just want to... you to know that when I say go, I, I mean Dad. Yeah, Dad Ducat. Yes. That's what I mean. Uh, the, the other thing is, just, just to uh, clarify, mm -hmm. they didn't poison the briny tacos at all. Oh, that's right. I sh uh, no, they didn't actually. I don't know how that got in there. I because that's how the scene was set up. Maybe. Yeah. No, they um, <laughs> they actually do much better. They make it look like the briny tacos are poisoned. Well, it's actually or, a souffle made of briny tacos. Yeah, it's a hasperat souffle, which, as far We've as I can tell, established before. Yeah, hasperat is some kind of a like a wrap, like a burrito. It's type a bur thing. It's a it, yeah. It's really more of a briny briny burrito. Yeah, or a soft taco. Or yes. soft taco. Briny taco just sounds funny. Yes, it does. Also sounds a little lewd. <laughs> give it to her right in the briny right taco. Right in the briny taco. <laughs> yeah, but it... it they, and they as have... the Cardassian pushed his pen into the, into, the, uh, into the trapped briny taco souffle... Yeah, Zial moves in with a hypo spray and just, like, knocks him out. Yeah. The, the thing is, all this amazing stuff is happening, and you think, wow, this is a bit of a misstep. Are they really just coming in literally with a cake with a file in it? Yeah. And then, and then it plays out like that. Quark's like, "No, no, don't look in there. Don't, you know." And then they do something entirely. Yeah, he, he fucking slams the Cardassian's head into the into the cake, basically, and uh, Zial yeah. poisons him. It's awesome. Yeah, it's not like they he he acts like there's something in there yep. to make him go in so he can't see her. Like, yes, there here is a souffle with definitely nothing in it. You don't need to get a good look at it. I'll just put this uh, attractive silver tray back over it. Yeah. Hey, what are you doing? By the way, uh, that guy's, absolutely nothing. By the way, that guy's voice sounded really weird to me. Oh, no, not me. It sounded like he was ADR badly. <laughs> that could be. <laughs> hey, 
What is happening here? Maybe they got whoever dubbed uh, young Guinan's voice in Rascals. Oh, yeah. I'm Guinan. I'm Guinan. Yeah. Uh, but, but in any case, yeah, just amazing, amazing episode. Also, I would really have liked to have seen Rom try to saw his way through a force field with a file. I mean, if he can't do it with his tooth, I don't think a file's going to no, do I, much No, I know, right. He can definitely open a can of tomato juice with that. Oh, absolutely. Well, I wouldn't have old Chopper here, that's for sure. <laughs> I was th there's, a, there's a They Might Be Giants song called I've Got a Fang. <laughs> that, just, that just makes me think of that. <laughs> Glistening white, triangular tooth, open up a can of tomato juice. <laughs> yeah, that's Rom, that's Rom all right. Yep. Um, Brother. Okay, so I'm going to jump into... I, actually, since we're talking about Rom, let's do your good thing. Uh, which is Rom for the second time. Yeah, what happened to us? What happened to him? Yeah. The thing, I, I give us credit for recognizing and not just holding a grudge and saying, no, it got better and we changed our minds. This actually, and this actually kind of ties into the jailbreak scene too, now that I think uh -huh. about it. Um, Rom not saving the day is a surprise that I never saw coming. Like, well, that's another, like we said in the jailbreak thing, we know how this scene plays out. We've seen it a million times, but here it, doesn't go the way it always goes. No, like, it seems so obvious that what's going to happen is that he's going to uh, disable the weapons just in time for uh, the minefield to stay up and uh, the Defiant to take back the station. But that's mm -hmm. not what happens at all. Like, the the episode completely swerves and the good guys don't actually get that vic get that easy victory. But it, ha it, it goes wrong in a split second because he says, done. Yeah, and, and then, the way and they then set we cut it up, to Ducat too. saying "fire," and like it all happens at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it's it's perfectly planned. Like I love how absolutely yep. well it just sort of plays because out. They're they're playing on our expectations. The expectation is he got it done at the last second. We're gonna be okay. Wait, no, he got it done one second after the last second. We are which, not gonna be okay. Which, if you're playing this stuff like this, occasionally that's gonna happen. Yeah, you're not always gonna make it. Sometimes you're gonna make it. Just in the nick, just in the not nick of time, yeah. just in the willikins of time, <laughs> uh, and it's not going to work. But and even better than that, even though he loses, like I love that he still manages to pay to save the day. Just because, like, if the weapon systems were still up, getting picking off the defiant would have been the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, no. Then the fact that they don't have weapons means they now have to abandon the station. They could still at least defend the station. Yeah. like the wormholes you know, open now, but at least they could defend the station. Yeah. I mean, like, they could, like, they, the, the reinforcements aren't arriving, but they can get more Jem'Hadar. Right. And, and they can shoot at any, you know, the Defiant or any other Starfleet ship that shows up. Yeah, and we know that DS9's got pretty good defenses. Right. Maybe and not the Cardassians perfect. probably, because it's a war, added more. Yeah. But like, I'm to, sure the Starfleet guys blew up whatever they had there, yeah. but... But, you know. like, oh, so well executed. Yep. So, here's my good thing. Mm. I've seen this run of episodes uh, probably a dozen times over the years. Like, since it aired in, again, I don't remember, 96, 97, something like that. Uh, I just, this is the best. Like, I've watched this run of episodes a lot. And I know pretty much everything that's coming. Like, a couple of things caught me off guard because it's been a few years. But I still, like, as much as I've thought about this, and somebody mentioned last week, and, and I take this as a huge compliment, that our insights last week were a little more like a little deeper than usual a little more insightful than usual it's because we've had all this time to think about this yeah. it's because matt and i have not on the show discussed 
here's what's happening. I can't wait till we get to this episode so we can finally talk about this. Yeah. Like, and this is going back a long time. Because, listen, before we did podcasts, we were just friends. Yeah. We're still friends, I hope. Well, yes. <laughs> now, are you breaking up with me? You, you were just here for my birthday not too long ago. That wasn't show-related at all. We laughed. Yeah. Uh, but this but is you, crap we've talked about for a long time. It's and and I've talked about it with Amanda. I've talked about you know all my friends that have seen this who are big into Star Trek. This is the stuff you talk about, and like I know, you know what's going to happen. I know all the all the stuff, and I still like all the analysis, all the like, and and I try to look at it as a writer to to see, okay, here's clearly where they set this up. Here's where they pay this off. I still cannot find. I cannot figure out. After all the twists and betrayals, after how Dukat has just been the worst of villain, just the villainy villain, how he's sympathetic at the end. Mm -hmm. I should not care that he lost his daughter. He is a sick fuck who tried to hurt a bunch of good people. Mm -hmm. He doesn't get to be sympathetic. And yet, yeah, it's you feel bad for him. Yeah, it's watch you watch as everything he 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 ever wanted and. By no, that, we've been I mean, pointing out this whole time he's only got three things he wants, mm -hmm. but that everything's gone. Yeah, it like it all falls apart in the space of seconds, and he spends this entire episode the smuggest Dukat oh, strutting around. He he pours two drinks, toasts himself. Yep. for being the conqueror of the Alpha Quadrant, and drinks them both. Yep, like that's how smug he is. It's like we are at this point where he is like. All uh, we are seconds away from defeating the Federation, and once that's done, it will be the easiest thing in the world to take to take over the Dominion, and yep. then we have everything. And then we can probably circle back for Bajor, like I've always wanted. Yep. And then in the space of a second, he loses everything. Well, the okay, the wormhole opens up, and instead of thousands, what did they say, four thousand or something 4, like that? Four thousand uh, uh, Dominion ships. Yeah. Instead of that, no Dominion ships. And just the Defiant comes out. Mm -hmm. And and the look, and Matt said, like, if I wasn't putting that ship porn on as yeah. the uh, cover art, a good alternative would be Dukat's jaw on the floor yep. as he's, uh, why, why is it just that guy and nobody else? If you've ever seen any of the old Ghostbusters action figures where you squeeze their legs and their <laughs> mouths hung open and their eyes bugged out, you got a pretty good idea of what uh, yeah. Dukat um, looks like. Or any, like, Tex Avery cartoon. Yes! Like, he could be in The Mask. <laughs> There's an image. Yep. Smoking, Major. <laughs> he just, like... Oh, my God. It's my so great. My name is Cuban Pete. <laughs> I'm the king of the rumba beat. He's just... And you pointed out, and I, I noticed this as well, that his hair is sort of the visual cue of his sanity. Yeah, we've seen this once or twice before where um his perfect Ducat hair starts to untuck a little. Yeah, he's got the he's got the typically the perfect slick back one piece helmet hair. Yeah, and his strands of it start becoming un unslicked. Yeah, it's like wow. We've also yeah. actually seen this with Odo occasionally. Uh, and we also see it with uh, 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 I have completely lost his name. How have I lost the name for the tailor named Garrick? Jesus, <laughs> I'm like, well, let's see. It's definitely not Cisco. No, no, <laughs> Garrick. The same the same deal. because yeah. most most Cardassians have that hair. Yeah. But yeah, and and he gradually like some of it comes unloose as the reinforcements haven't come. They have to abandon the station, and then uh, Demar shoots his daughter mm -hmm. and is just completely like Doc Brown at that point. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 
my oily rag collection. <laughs> I was saving that for the good of the Bajoran people. <laughs> but just, I shouldn't feel bad for that. Oh, of course you shouldn't. He's a fucking monster. And he's still, it's, it's, some of it's the writing. Mm. Some of it is Mark, I think it's a limo. I might be saying that wrong. But the guy who plays Galducat, just amazing. Because he's so over the top and so crazy scenery chewy. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to serious emotions, he, he switches and it's not over the top anymore. It's just tragic and devastating. Yeah. It's like, oh God, that is a real guy who loves his daughter that's just been shot right mm-hmm. in front of him. Oh, poor guy. Yeah. But I Wait mean, a minute, poor guy. <laughs> it's just, it's watching as they peel those layers of things he of things he needs away from him. Yep. You know, like he, he loses, he loses any shot at Bajor. Yep. He definitely loses, he's definitely lost Major Kira, but that was a couple of He never of had her. Yeah. In his mind. Yeah. But like, that was never on the table in the first No, of course not. But clear. like, if we go back a couple of episodes, we definitely, we can definitely see him being like, all right, I am... I'm about three seconds away from finally getting Major Kira to realize I'm not such a bad guy. Right. So he loses that, but that's okay because he can once she's out. Once she's definitely gone, he sort of shifts um, uh, his affection for her to being a good father, mm-hmm. and then or being recognized as a good father. Nothing he's doing reflects being a good father. Well, but no, he but wants to be seen as a good father. That's the thing. He, him being seen as a good father to him is, I think, the same as being one. If people right. see him as one, he can believe that he's one. I agree, but let's be clear. He's not doing anything different. Oh, no. He's not trying to be a better father. He just is trying to change her perception. No, of what he's done is shifted his focus away from Kira and on to Zial. Right. And then he loses that, too. And now he has no station... No love of the Bajoran people, no Kira, and no uh, daughter. So well, now first, what... no love of his daughter, but then literally no daughter. Yeah. And so what does he have now? Nothing. Nope. And there's a great final scene where he's he's babbling, you know, strumming his lip, as Matt says. Yeah. Uh, in in a holding cell, and he, he's just muttering. And you can tell in his mind he's stuck in that very last moment where everything didn't completely fall apart. Yeah, I love that. He's just reliving the seconds before everything fell apart. He's like, it's okay, Zial. I forgive you. I forgive you. And then Cisco walks up and he hands the baseball back to him and he says, I forgive you too. And it's like, wow, that is that is perfect. Yeah. You guys talk about how hard it was to plan all this, but this seems like you planned it all just beautifully. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, so good. Uh, but my bad thing kind of ties into all this. And again, extremely difficult to pick. Thinking about Zial's death, though, they did a decent enough job in this run trying to get her to know her better, I guess. But ultimately, it still feels like her entire purpose was to give the other characters something to react to. Dukat, Kira, Garrick. There have been plenty of characters like this before, but it doesn't really, and it doesn't really bother me that much. But in this show, every character feels sort of independent and unique. Yeah. And Zial is basically just someone to make Kira feel happy or sad, someone to make Dukat feel happy. Like, she never completely felt like her own person. Yeah, she's she's a bit of a prop. Yeah, which, if this show had, you know, if this show did a lot of that, it would bother me more. Yeah. And if the show, you know, like, if there weren't 15 other major characters going on, mm-hmm. one of them literally a major, <laughs> major, then that would bother me too. It's just, I don't know, I would care about her death a little more if it didn't completely feel like her purpose was to prop up Dukat and Kira and, yeah. and Garrick. No, it really feels like her own, the only reason she sort of exists on this show is so that uh, Dukat can grab one arm and Kira can grab the other and they can tug back and forth. 
I, and then Garrick can be sad when he comes back and she's dead because yeah. there's that too. But the writers even said in episode, I think, two of this that, uh, yeah, we like we do a really, you know, like we try really hard to make Zial seem like the, the innocent and just total sweet perfect person mm -hmm. just to make it that much harder when she's dead it's is that joss whedon approach yep. and on the like I, when at the time i was reading that i was like yeah that's pretty cool ha 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 but on the other hand it's like okay but she's also got to be a character yeah no you, she needs to be a person before she's a, a reason a motivation and we never really got to know her well enough i don't think yeah all, all i know is that she is the nicest person ever yeah and she likes to paint Okay, which are that's a start, mm -hmm. but that's not a character. That's no. just a, that's a sketch. Yeah, like, that's a sketch for a character, and then the actor, and it's not the actor. The actor did a good enough job with what she was given. That is a description. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's an end. Don't don't give me the the anthem. Give yeah. me the you know. But it's you know it it's a little dis like again it didn't actually bother me that much. No. But I'm trying really hard to find something to criticize, and that that is a thing that bugs me. About any character in any show. Well, at least you didn't uh, latch on to a character and her lack of color, so. <laughs> what was your bad thing in this? Okay. So, let's talk about, we need to talk about this. We do. And I think I, like, while we were watching, I kind of argued you to my side a little bit, but it's still a yeah, discussion. Yeah, I, st I to still have. want to talk about this because yeah. I'm not the only person who thinks this. No, definitely not. Back at, back in the day, like, I was on a bunch of, like, uh, Trek message boards and, and chat rooms and stuff, and this was a big thing. Yeah. So I like this episode a fuck of a lot, but there's a couple of things in it that don't sit w well with me. And the main one is, of course, the prophets interfering in the destruction of the Jem'Hadar fleet. It just mm -hmm. feels really really easy now i appreciate that at the very least cisco doesn't ask them for them for help immediately like he's not going in there and going i sure hope some uh prophets will come along and wipe these guys out for me but like it just feels cheap that after six episodes they just fucking vanish that's fair but i don't i don't agree first of all i don't think like there's no reason for cisco to go into the wormhole he could just as easily as fight them outside as soon as they emerge mm -hmm. as wait inside the wormhole for them i think he did it on purpose first of all but that's that's my speculation there's no specific i mean it makes it definitely makes sense we've never seen anyone sit inside the wormhole on purpose unless they're specifically trying to yeah. contact the prophets like that's usually why they do it and earlier in the episode or maybe in the previous episode again it, it all blends together um i think it was the previous one because he had that speech about yeah. there He's reading the texts. He's reading the uh, the prophecies, and uh -huh. I think I think he saw something in there again. Speculation, mm. but I think he read something in there that says uh, the emissary reaches out to the prophets for help or something it's like, like well, that. Well, it says here that the emissary uh, if the emissary flies into the wormhole at just the right time. The prophets will fucking kill all the Jem'Hadar. I I doubt it. You know, says that. But... Oh, there's even a little drawing here. Look at that. Oh, that's me. <laughs> These are oddly specific. How has no one noticed this before? So the prophecies are just memory alpha. Yeah. He's just reading the memory alpha for an episode that isn't finished yet and figuring out what's going to happen next. Look at that. It still says garbage. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's a win for us. But I, I, that's, again, there's nothing explicit in the episode that no. says that. That is speculation on my part. But I, I, thematically, sort of, as far as the bigger picture goes, this did not come from out of nowhere. They set this up from the pilot. Mm -hmm. 
he's talked to the prophets twice now. Once at the very beginning, once when that guy came through that they thought was the emissary. That's it. Like, he he's not there all the time. But enough that he's had contact with them before. Yeah. And he's never asked them for anything. Like, he's actually doing something with it for the first time. Mm. And there's there's an entire act, like an entire, you know, commercial break to commercial break segment of about eight to ten minutes of him arguing his point. It's not just an easy, like, he's got a, like, a good portion of this, this episode is him convincing them, look, you are of Bajor, they're your people. This is about to end badly for Bajor. Do you want to help them or not? Like, it's it's very, at the time, it struck me as very Kirk, very Picard, but also uniquely Cisco at the same time. Yeah. Like, just that passionate Starfleet captain arguing for something that needs to happen. Yeah. And it was so good. And on another level, it feels like old mythology. Like, oh, God, everything's fucked. Only the gods can help me yeah. now. And the gods even say, well... We're going to help you, but there's going to be a price. You're never going to find peace. Yeah, that that is cool. And I think because of that, and we know without specifically saying anything, we know that's going to pay off later. That mm. is a real thing that's going to happen. It feels like there's a price. It's not like, it's not cheap. It's not an escape hatch. And they could have just as easily had Rom be successful and mm. win the station back that way. Like, the fact that, like, they deliberately planned this. Oh, yeah. No, the... What it's not like the writers got stuck. What happened was I went to uh, I went to Memory Alpha after I watched this episode, mm -hmm. as we do. And there's actually a yeah. section right at the bottom. It's like a lot. It's like a lot of people were really upset with that choice. I'm like, yeah. And the guy goes, and they were wrong. We <laughs> we worked really hard on this. We paid it off perfectly. If we look, if we didn't want to do this, we would have written it another way. Yeah, it's not like they got stuck. That's the thing. To which I wrote at the bottom. Oh. The thing is, you could still not like it, obviously. Oh, yeah. You can think whatever you want to think. But saying that the writers did this because they got stuck and they couldn't see any other way out, that is not true. Oh, no. But if you <laughs> still don't like it as a, as a story element, that's totally valid. But I think, I think, I think my history of uh, what happens when religion saves anyone has been well established. All right, that's fair. And then God showed up. Huh. Then Cisco asked for help for the first time mm -hmm. from his super powerful friends who have been here from day one. Yep. Like, that's that's how I saw it. Mm -hmm. it's not, religion didn't really enter into it. The, that adds a nice layer. Like I say, it feels like mythology to me. Yeah, it does. Which I love. Mm. And But they're still, if you choose to look at it that way, all powerful aliens. Yeah. Like, and also, I don't know that they destroyed them. Apparently, there's been a couple of different, like, non-canon stories about this fleet just being zapped somewhere else. Yep. So there's also that. In the uh, in the Star Trek uh, game, there's a, which takes place 25 years after uh, Nemesis, I think. Mm -hmm. um, they talk about how suddenly the uh, the entire fleet reappears and tries to take over Deep Space Nine. Yep. Which is and, like, whoops. And then there's another a novel where they end up getting zapped to wherever it is the aliens from um, uh, Conspiracy are the, the the insect aliens. Yeah. Mind control insect aliens. So. And then the Jem'Hadar fleet. The mind control aliens and the Borg all teamed up uh -huh. to fight the Federation. They called it Acts of Vengeance. Yep. <laughs> Which, if you read Marvel Comics in 1989, makes sense. To <laughs> uh, so what else? What else? Um, I, the other the other thing that bugged me about this episode is uh, there's a there's a actually pretty great scene uh, where uh, during the jailbreak 
mm-hmm. where Quark and Zial break uh, break uh, everyone else out of jail. Um, right. There's a scene where uh, Quark comes in with two phasers, I assume, oh, yeah. and does the whole "Okay, you, uh, everyone, everybody, hold it." You do this. You do that. And all I can think is that, like, these are Jem Hadar soldiers. The first thing they would do was just blow him away. Well, and the looks they give each other are clearly, we're not going to listen to him. We're going to kill him, yeah. right? And you're you're right. My sort of automatic assumption was, okay, Zial is the daughter of the Cardassian dictator. Mm. They're our allies. Uh, there's going to be a lot of paperwork to fill out if we <laughs> kill her. Let's be careful. <laughs> we don't have to fill out paperwork. That's Vorta shit. Well, I guess that's they true. never he, the the founders never gave us written language, but he wasn't there. Like witnesses yeah. have to fill out paperwork. Yeah. So yeah, but no, I, it's it was a little tiny thing, but it do, like it. I, I I think the scene would have worked perfectly if they had just made them Cardassian guards. Yeah. The thing is, the Geminar then just decide to say "fuck you." I'm going to kill you yeah. anyway, and that's when Quark murders them. Yeah, and that's the other thing I want to talk about. I'm pretty sure. This is the first time Quark has ever killed anybody. Something in my head says you may be wrong, but in any case, it, I, look, it's the I, first one of the first huge heroic things he's it, done. My basically my point is if that's if that's not true, fine. But to me, it look the look on his face afterwards. Yeah. very clearly feels to me like I just killed two people. I don't kill people. That's true, and as a rule, he doesn't. No, like even if by some technicality he has at some point, maybe okay, fine, but. This isn't a, a usual thing for him. Like a thing in Star in Star Trek to me has always been all of our all of our guys going back to uh, the original series through TNG have routinely killed other people. Like it's yeah, they're just in a Starfleet, thing. they're in the yeah. military, and there are hostile people out there. It's a thing that happens, and I mean, like you know, when we talk about a bunch of guys who are fundamentally good people, yeah, like. No, that's always been a great source of tension is I don't want to kill someone, but sometimes in yeah. my job I have to, and that sucks. But it's often, just because it's a TV show and stuff, it's it's not something they usually talk about or dwell on. Right. I like the idea of a guy, of the sleazy guy, the criminal yeah. guy, uh, having to actually kill somebody for the first time, and it really affecting him. He had a nice little arc in this, and mm-hmm. with all the stuff going on, he didn't have a prom- prominent uh, role. Yeah. But he definitely had a role. And watching him go from, ah, bring the Dominion on, what do I care, yep. to, uh, oh, God, I don't like this, to, oh, God, they're going to kill my brother. Uh-huh. To, was... I need to, we need to, I need to actively take a role in bringing back the Federation. Yeah. It's it, just a great progression for him. And, it's and really great. It, and, and it peaks at that point where he kills the two guards. Yeah. And Kira gets this great look on her face, like, I did not think Quark had that in him. Good job. And then immediately followed by, okay, now get us out of here. Yeah. But but for a minute she's just got that great like like surprise slash respect. Yeah, holy shit, look. that was fantastic. Qu- wait, Quark just rescued me? Okay, this must be, I must still be dreaming. I gotta I gotta rethink this. You know my my uh, my views on this. Just, huh. huh? Quark just rescued me and just so that Rom can help me sabotage this thing. What? <laughs> Meanwhile, my meanwhile my friend Odo is nowhere to be seen. What is happening to my life? Yeah. One thing I wanted to talk about was Jake. Mm. Um, we said before, I think this might have even been your good thing mm. at one point in, in this run, was that it was cool that Jake st- stayed behind. Yeah. And it was. But I don't think anything has come of that at all. Not really. He didn't get to be a reporter because he doesn't get, like, the, they, they made a point, I think, in the very first episode of this new season, of saying, you don't, like, we're not going to let you send any of this stuff out. Yeah. 
that's like propaganda. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. And he's so he hasn't really been a reporter this whole time. No, it's mostly you said this when we were watching the episode. It's mostly become shorthand for him being able to go like, I have my sources. Yeah, he's really smug about like because he knows some people, which I would like to think. No, I don't think you do have any sources, Jake. No, Jake, you know the same people that Kira and Odo and Quark know, only they've known them longer because they've all been here since before you got here. I like to think that in that very 19-year-old thing, he's like, I'm going to stay behind to become the hero of the Resistance. Yep. And, well, it turns out you don't actually know anything and can't do anything, and all of the important people are already doing something. And the one cool thing you could have been able to do, you weren't allowed to do. Yeah. Because, so, yes, you are a decent writer, and maybe you're good at noticing details and talking to people, but, mm-hmm. you know, all the stuff you need to be to be a good reporter, but that's useless if your information doesn't reach anyone. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but again, with all the stuff going on, mm-hmm. it's okay. It's it's fine. Like, I still admire the gesture. Yeah, I am it's, hoping that as we head into uh, a free Deep, Deep Space Nine, we can have him as, like, a war oh, there Oh, will, there will be... With, without any kind of spoilers exactly. I'm just going over it in my head. There will be stories specifically about him being a reporter during wartime. Mm. That is a thing that will happen. Yeah. So we will get... I just don't think there was time to focus on that here. Yeah. Which is fair. Um, so yeah, I think we're about ready to wrap this up. You got a quote for us? Uh, yes, I do. Um, in my ongoing uh, obsession with uh, pointing out what makes du- uh, Gul Dukat tick... Uh Here is everything you ever needed to know about him. A true victory is to make your enemies see they were wrong to oppose you in the first place. To force them to acknowledge your greatness. Then you kill them. Only if it's necessary. (laughs) Uh, He doesn't really tick anymore. Not so much, no. It's more of a clonk. Yep. Every 15 minutes, just like... Uh, so any final thoughts? Uh, I don't think so. I stand by this, notes here. this being the best just single story Yep, that Star Trek will ever tell. And uh, there's still some great DS9 coming up. Oh, yeah, no. It's, it's not like it's all downhill from here. No, but if you want, like, just a perfect chunk of yeah. great Star Trek, you can do far worse than these seven episodes. Yeah, absolutely. So next week, things get sort of back to normal. A little um, bit. In that we are back on the station. Yep. Um, and without giving away what happens, the uh, we've said this all along, like, and they've said this all along in the show, uh, the uh, Worf-Dax wedding. Yep. In fact, the next episode, I believe, is called You Were Cordially Invited. Like, yeah. it's, it's pretty obvious that's what's going to happen. That is yes, the Yes, it's the Rom and Lita after party. <laughs> Finally, after all this time, the war has been put on hold enough that we can really celebrate Ram and Lita's marriage. Their long-deserved marriage. Mm-hmm. So, look yeah. forward to that, folks. It'll it'll be the, like, because they've been talking, like, Worf's been fretting over every tiny detail this whole time. Yeah. So now we get, you know, the payoff to that, which is good. Uh, Amanda will be joining us next week, so yep. look forward to that. Uh, as ever, website posthomichorror.com, email address posthomichorror at gmail. I wanted to very quickly touch on the fundraiser that I'd been talking about. Oh, yes. Um, I reached 100% of the goal uh, less than three weeks after I launched the thing, Woo! which is amazing. So the shows, this one and the others, are completely funded mm. now. Thank you very much for that, yeah. all of you. Do appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, seriously, And guys. I appreciate it. 
Appreciate it happening quickly so that I don't have to keep begging. <laughs> That's nice. All right, so we'll be back next week. All right, see you, folks. Salads. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2015. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun. <laughs>